Welcome to the summer special of Private Practice Podcast. It's hello from me, Daniel P. Brown, in the Private Practice Podcast Studio here in London. And for me, it's the all-new Private Practice Podcast Studio because even though you've been recording the whole series from here, I have been where, Dan? You've been in France. And now I am where? You're in the Private Practice Podcast Studios in London. And this Private Practice Studio has a garden, which is where we're recording our summer special, which is called... Begins with an E. Um, Second letter is S. Um, Third letter is C. Escape. Coming up on the show today, I've got cards, like this is a game show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can I just say, I forgot how awkward it is to be anywhere near you and record the podcast. I kind of prefer it if you were in France again. There's, There's... there's something just easier to manage when you're not actually in the room with me. I'm feeling kind of claustrophobic, but carry on. Let's see if we can get away from that. Maybe it's just because you project your worst characteristics onto me and then you just see them with in long-limbed form in front of you. Like this monster, this giraffe-like monster in front of you is actually all the things you hate about yourself. Yeah. Anyway, back to my cards. They are really good, actually. They're lovely pastel colours as well. Coming up on the show today, because this is a special, previously we've only done this with Christmas specials, but we're going to do this with every series because it's just so much fun. We love the specials, don't we? We're going to play the sack game, but because this is a travel-themed episode, it's Uh going to be the suitcase game. Oh, brilliant. I love it. We're going to burn some defunct core beliefs around the summer campfire. We'll be talking about travel and emotional baggage. I think that's an important topic to to talk about. And we're playing a game of... Earlier I asked you to come up with a witty title and you didn't, so on the spot we're going to be playing a game of... Guess the idea in psychoanalysis. Let me take you on a journey. That would be lovely. Yesterday, I'm not necessarily going to repeat this because Dan really didn't enjoy it and I don't want to start the episode with with something Dan won't enjoy so that he then is passive-aggressive for the rest of the episode. Too late. (laughs) Yesterday, I, um, I asked Dan to describe what he thought my school was like in Paris because I hadn't really given that many details and I just wanted to see how different his imagination was from the reality of my time teaching in Paris and basically everything he said was completely wrong and I really enjoyed listening to him getting it wrong. Just for clarification, not everything I said was completely wrong. Before I went to Paris, I spent quite a lot of time in Montpellier and I can't remember how much detail I gave you, but picture the scene. (sighs) Yes, Montpellier, paradise on earth. Yes, there's no traffic. You're in the old, narrow streets of the city. The walls are all a kind of yellowish stone. Mm. Very narrow. It's very... Mm. This time of year, it'll be very hot. But lots of shade from trees. 
and the narrow street suddenly opens up into a square where you can sit out under the shade of the trees or the umbrellas in one of the many cafes. And again, no traffic, no pollution, no noise, no risk of being run over because you're looking around you at the beautiful place that is being ruined by traffic. There's none of that. Maybe you've just been to one of the world's most divine centres of gastronomy, which is Maison Loaf, where you can get probably the best croissant I've ever had in my life and have a little chat with the nice staff there who are uncharacteristically pleasant for a French boulangerie. (laughs) (laughs) Just, Just to pause there for a moment, I'm pretty certain that you were telling the story of just how wrong I was last night when you tried to get me to imagine your time in Paris but now you've 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 taken us on a journey all the way to Montpellier and we're sitting in the sunshine and the heat of the small cobbled streets and yellow brick how has that happened i just wanted to take you on a journey and to 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 a place that i feel is paradise to put you in that frame of mind for our travel special i don't know if you remember one of the episodes from our last series when I was travelling, I recorded in the Bay of Silence and I managed to pick a morning... That was really loud. Yeah, there were yeah. children screaming, there was loads of wind and I basically couldn't record there because it was too noisy. But other times in the Bay of Silence, you can sit on the sand in the tranquility of this big curved bay Listening to, the, listening to the water lapping against the shore, feeling the water on your feet, noticing the boats bobbing around in the middle of the bay, counting all the colours that you can see, looking up the hillside and picking out the individual trees and terraces. Imagining pillars. how... Imagining whether life could even be any better and coming up with nothing. So here's my first question for you. Having taken you on a journey to a couple of places that I found idyllic on my travels, why do people go on holiday? Well, I mean, there's some obvious answers, aren't there? That's what I want. I mean, the episode is entitled Escape. Yeah. And I guess there's an element of escaping the rat race and the rigmarole of the the hustle and bustle of your day-to-day routine. Okay, the rat race and the rigmarole and the hustle and bustle. I've observed your daily routine today. (laughs) I didn't observe much rat race or rigmarole, well, maybe a bit of rigmarole, but certainly no hustle and bustle, although I didn't come with you to the hospital. What what did you observe then? I observed you having a leisurely morning and then a conference call and then taking a taxi because you're incredibly lazy and then coming back seemingly not stressed. I see, I'm I'm a professional though, James. I'm able to give the impression of calm at almost all times in my professional life. So would you be wanting to escape from that? Well, let's just say I've worked very hard at um, gaining the sensation of being relaxed and perhaps you could say um, escaping the rigmarole and hustle and bustle of the rat race in my day-to-day existence. When was the last time you went on holiday? Uh, I, I believe it was when we recorded the private practice special 
from um, the south of France somewhere, or was I in the north of France? North of France, <laughs> Normandy. <laughs> exactly, I didn't even know where I was. So, yeah, that was probably my last holiday. Was that a year ago? It was almost a year ago, September last year, the beginning of September. Yeah, so, yeah, that was my last holiday. What's your most successful holiday in terms of having expectations and having them either met or exceeded or challenged, you know, essentially exceeded by... Three instantly sprung to my mind. One was um, Marrakesh, Morocco, um, a little trip to Essaouira, which was somewhere on the coast in Morocco. Another is um, Iceland, going to Reykjavik, and the third is New Orleans. All three absolutely wonderful holidays and above and beyond anything I could have expected, being quite a nervous traveller. That's just a list of locations which is absolutely the least interesting thing about it. Why were they, or why was one of those a particularly good holiday? I'm thinking, I mean, the, the, the culture shock of Morocco, the difference in the way people live and the rules and, the, and what it looks like was exciting and the beauty and the, and the, you know, and yeah, the culture shock, the smells and the food and the, and the, you know, the lack of English signposts and the lack of English people actually where I was, that was wonderful. And also we were able to live in luxury over there um, for all the cost of, you know, um, Waitrose Essentials over here. <laughs> so that was really rather wonderful. Um, and the, the beautiful weather helped and the continuous heat. Um, so that was wonderful. That was escaping the day-to-day rigmarole of being a nurse in the NHS. That was pretty special. Your home is very profound. I've written that on my card. Your home, the private practice studio, the all-new private practice studio is very profound, by which I mean you have lots of possessions. It's kind of higgledy-piggledy and chaotic, but in an orderly, tidy, clean way. Thanks, James. You clearly project yourself on the building and just the area itself, because you grew up around here, your mum lives near here, your friends are around here, your job is around here, mm-hmm. you have lived around here for, for, or just in South London for quite a while. Does that make it harder to escape or do you want to escape? Uh, no, I don't feel I want to escape. I don't feel I need to escape, um, although I do like to have some kind of uh, uh, balance between the everyday and the exciting. But... You're going to have to excuse me for 30 seconds because um, uh, that's going to run out of battery. And why don't you, why don't you tell people about your last holiday? <laughs> Let me put this two ways. Number one, January this year I was in paradise. The sun was shining for the, for the entire month. It wasn't really cold. I was living in a really nice little building um, in the garden of some friendly people where I was free to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted. I didn't have to go to work. I had wonderful food and wine. I was in paradise, like I said, access to nice uh, places to go walking and things like that. Now let me put it a different way. If I said to you, you're going to spend the next month without money, you're not going to have contact with any of your family or friends. You're going to be in isolation. You're going to have to work out all the things about yourself that maybe other people don't like and that you don't like about yourself simply by sitting in isolation and concentrating on your 
patterns of behaviour and looking back into your childhood and working out where things come from, possibly for the first time, uh, with the help of some books and podcasts and things. And you're just going to sit there with your own booming, deafening, self-critical voice going round and round in your head with absolutely no chance of going to a party at the end of the week to, to escape. You just have to live with yourself for an entire month and you can never get away from yourself. Now, to some people, I don't know if that would be you, but to some people that would sound like absolute hell on earth and they would do anything to stay in their job and have the purpose of and the function of going to work and interacting with people, knowing that the weekend is coming and they're going to hedonistically party away and have that release from the uh, tough week at work. Yeah, but what made you consider that you were a horrendously awful person what were the well I've talked about that a bit over this series well that neatly leads right no, I see what you've done there no, I see what you've done there I see what no, you've done you there don't. that neatly leads into our feature our summer bonfire not bonfire campfire that's it because I, I was calling this a bonfire and you said there's more of a wintry autumny type thing so especially I, with the laws in Britain meaning you can't have a bonfire from May to September but you can have a barbecue, a fire pit or a campfire James, I just wanted to say that what I really wanted there was an answer and do you know what? You give me that answer with our next section of this podcast, the campfire of... What was it? I wrote it down on one, of my, on one of my game show cards uh, Camp- the campfire of defunct beliefs the campfire of defunct beliefs so... A correct listener who has listened to all of our episodes in full will know that we had recently an episode called Core Beliefs. Yes, we did. And I didn't really know what Core Beliefs were at the start of the episode, so I was essentially introduced to the idea of Core Beliefs. And I think some of those, even though I didn't, I'd, I'd never heard of the idea of Core Beliefs, I was obviously thinking about those whilst I was spending that month on my own in a small room in isolation thinking about how awful my personality has been for about 20 years if and not longer uh, since I was 7 because obviously I'm perfect until 7 so and 23 years of uh-huh. 20, no 24 25 years of being a truly awful awful person unbearable reflecting on that for an entire month in isolation in a small room with no income and no friends and no going to parties um, and so some of these core beliefs came up, but it was only after we did our core beliefs episode that I was aware of the idea of what is a core belief. Okay, I'm with you. Carry on. So I have written down 10 core beliefs that I think I had throughout those 23, 25 years, which we can now throw onto our summer campfire and they can burn, and out of the ashes will rise the phoenix of the glorious new James Hall, ready for the future to be the best person I could possibly be. And frankly, I was already pretty good, so this is just going to be great. Yes, uh, yes, and the, if you just listen there in the background, you can hear the crackling of that, <laughs> of that campfire. As we've been, we've been loading it up with most of my personality traits all afternoon, haven't we, James? Yes. I, I, just did, I did just co- uh, contradict myself because I said that I was recognising how I used to be an awful person and then I immediately <laughs> subsequently said, 
I've always yeah. been pretty good. So yeah. the future improvement yeah. is going to be absolutely out of this world. In um, fact, the more discerning listener might notice that James hasn't changed quite as much <laughs> as he believes that he's changed. Um, but, you know, let's give him some credit and let's give him an opportunity. James is, James is quite nervous, I think, about this episode because the, the campfire of... Um, it's the campfire of defunct beliefs. The campfire of defunct beliefs is quite an important uh, ritualistic act to him. He is a changed man in many ways and he wants to... Um, ritualize that by throwing away these beliefs by putting them onto the crackling fire we have just next to us so this is the campfire of defunct beliefs welcome listener to the campfire of defunct beliefs number one most people are homophobic making me a victim god that's an interesting one and that's something that in your month you started to realize but you hadn't in our conversations you hadn't really brought that into your mind before you'd you'd, you'd not re- you'd not realized or not 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 known that you'd believe that yes what? i didn't really necessarily understand the idea of victimization or internalized victimization or anything internalized to be honest <laughs> we had a we had a whole um dan hasn't necessarily heard this yet because, no, Dan hasn't heard this yet because I edited it today whilst he was at work. Therefore, no, Dan has not heard this today. I've spent today editing our episode on perversion in which I talk about my years before I understood what was meant by internalised homophobia. That made no sense to me before. Um, I've never really understood the idea of internalising things. I've never understood the idea of the id, ego and superego, particularly the superego. I've never understood internalised homophobia. I've never understood internalised victimisation until maybe, let's say, the last year. And what was it that you did in this space in Montpellier that enabled you to, to, to bring it into your mind? Like how, how do you become aware from being unaware? Because I think for a listener that would be a, a fascinating thing to be able to understand. Because you didn't intentionally sit down with no money, no friends and a lot of time on your hands to become a better person. That's exactly what I did. Because I, I, I recognised uh, towards the end of last year that what that trip was was just a big old escape and how can I escape what I'm really escaping which is myself and things about my life and my personality that I don't like when I take all that with me I mean that's really interesting because I think uh, although no one consciously does that goes on holiday you know I I think you go on holiday to escape work really you know Um, you know there's this classic idea that lots of people go on classic idea classic it's a fact really that people go on holiday and get into all kinds of arguments because they're away from all of the things that keep them moderated and contained and even if we don't like those things and being work, the house duties, looking after the kids, um, walking the dog, putting the rubbish out, doing all those things, they keep us moderated, they keep us on an even keel of stress, anxiety and annoyance but when we go away on holiday there's lots more psychological space for them to rear their ugly heads. And it sounds like you had, unintentionally, a lot of time, but intentionally 
decided to focus on those things because you weren't there with a partner. The arguments with your partner didn't come up because there was no partner. Your family arguments didn't come up because there was no family. You didn't uh, f fall out with your work colleagues because you were just there on your own. You had this extended space of time and you chose wisely or daftly to focus in on yourself on some of the most difficult things you were thinking and they came up to the surface because that space was not the usual space contained by the how did you describe my home like the well-organized clutter of a comfortable life one thing we haven't uh, talked about since i've come back is how i feel for the first time in my life that i can that i can make decisions that i can do things and i can just see things with far more clarity than ever before so what you just said I didn't know this at the time, but what I have done from spending that month stopping everything to look internally, to work out why I do the things I do, why, I've, why I spent most of the last year escaping and then going further and further back into childhood for the first time, never ever really understanding the idea of adult behaviour coming from childhood and all the things that we've talked about over the series. All the in fact, all the things we've talked about over this series essentially came from Montpellier because we kind of planned the series in January and all the things, all the topics came from that. But as we've been recording, obviously I've carried on living my life and constantly been thinking of how I am trying to develop from the starting point of January, which doesn't necessarily always reflect in the episodes, although um, there are certain things in the uh, later episode that I would definitely not have said in January. But it has resulted in me being able to see things with a clarity that I've never known in my life. Let, this is all very abstract. Let yeah, me just, I was going to say, give us an example. Let, let me even just take it to, okay, I'm coming up to London. If you put me in the same situation a few years ago, I've been out of the country for a year. I'm now going back to London. All the people I know, I could try and arrange to see. At the same time, I have to deal with the emotions of, oh, I haven't seen you for a year. Where do I start to talk to you? What do, what, I don't know what to say. How do I pick up from last year? What, how do I explain a year in one go? I don't know where to begin. I'm just, this is going to be awful. You're going to ask me, how was France? And I won't have an answer. Make it even more intense than that. Tomorrow, a real example, tomorrow I'm going for lunch with a group of friends. There's going to be somewhere between 10 and 15 people. They range from people I actually met up with in France. So in terms of um, you know, how was France? They already know to some extent the answer to that. Uh, through people I haven't seen in a year but who know me quite well, who don't necessarily have um, any information about France, so when they ask me how was France, there is no answer. Or they don't, they might not, uh, assuming they even ask, it could be that no one cares. Um, right the way through to people who I've never met before. And previously I would have known that this was for me, a nightmare scenario, but I would never have been able to recognise that feeling. I wouldn't have known what the feeling was. I'd have had the feeling and it would have just been, 
uh, 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 I'm not sure about Saturday, maybe I won't go. No, I can't do that. No, I have to go. Oh, I don't know how this is. Uh, I don't know. It would have been fog. Apprehension, anxiety. What's it going to be like? Um, so now you know it's apprehension and anxiety. And I wouldn't have known that before. You wouldn't have known that before. But I also know now that whilst I don't have... Let's say, worst case scenario, three people all simultaneously ask me, how was France? Ranging from the person I've never met before through the person I haven't seen for a year right the way through to the person who last saw me in Paris. How was France? I know that um, my bad behaviour of the past would lead me to uh, 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 um, uh, stutter, all that sort of thing, and give a terrible answer and hate my answer and hate myself and not be able to continue with the conversation very well. Hmm. And I know that I don't need to do that. And I know that what I actually want is to just sit back and not really talk and listen to everyone else because I haven't had that for a year and not really care that I don't have a good answer to how was France and not feel the need to fill in everyone at their appropriate level and recognise that it's, it's not even all about me because, you know, 15 people around a table, it's not James has just come back from France and we're all on the edge of our seats to know every single detail with chronology and completion and we're all going to be James Hall completists by the end of it and we're going to know everything about his life since he's been away and it's so exciting we can't wait we've been this is you know there was a cliffhanger of James is going to France and now it's the new season and we're going to just sit there and binge on the new season of James's life and it's really exciting and it's the main event and James is going to deliver it perfectly um, that's not the case so 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 as the new you know, the up there is James 2.0. How was France? <laughs> it was great. I had a nice time. Met some wonderful people. Brilliant. But the reality is that I, um, I went away probably very open-minded <clears throat> about other cultures and very much of the idea that I come from a small island that's quite small island-minded and that Europe is a much bigger, more cosmopolitan, open-minded place. And what I've actually come back with is the idea that everywhere I've been in Europe is just as much a small-minded community that I see in the UK. When I was living in Paris, when I first arrived, all I did was complain. There's traffic, there's noise, it's too expensive, it's just like London but worse. Um, everything I want to do is problematic because of bureaucracy and everyone wants, everyone in Europe wants to be in Paris. And, for, and more things, I hated the, um, the lack of green spaces. I just had a catalogue of things of Paris is awful and I kept going on about it in an irritating way. And I was, as, unfortunately, as I was doing this, for the first time in my life, I was able to think, oh, actually, I'm just criticising something and that's not appealing. I've never really been able to criticise my own criticism before. So I recognised for the first time in my life, oh, that's a part of my personality. I immediately start to criticise things. And when I actually think about myself doing that, it's not appealing. And now I really, I've been away from Paris less than a week and I already miss it. I can joke about yesterday going from the, the all new private practice studios to try and find a um, pan au chocolat somewhere around mm -hmm. here and finding myself in a little pocket of 1970s England I was faced with a rather quaint but ultimately 
um, gastronomically destitute array of stodgy, sticky buns and rock-hard gingerbread men. But ultimately, that has made me feel... That has just reinforced that, despite everything in Paris, actually, I loved it. I love France. I would... I really miss the life there. Um, I connected with people who really made an impact on my life, and I will miss those people, and I will go back to France to see them. So that is belief one or, or, or unnecessary... Uh, unwanted, unwarranted... Hellfire of defunct beliefs. Def- there's, there's one defunct belief. The defunct belief that you... In fact, we kind of veered off on that one, but the defunct belief was actually that you... that, that everyone would have a sort of a homophobic slant towards you because you're a gay. We didn't actually even start to talk about that. So <laughs> we, we are on number one of ten. <laughs> Amazing. Number one of ten. So I'm wondering whether that one actually might fall into a different category that's going to come up. What's number two on the uh, bonfire today? But on the campfire, campfire defunct beliefs. Is defunct that what you beliefs. meant? That is what I meant, yes. Number two. So number one, just in case people have forgotten by now, most people are homophobic, making me a victim. I haven't even talked about that. No, you've not. I said how I never used to understand internalised ideas. What? But I did kind of talk about that in our perversion episode, so you mm-hmm. can listen to that. Number two. I don't fit into society, therefore I will never be welcomed into institutions or groups, which, fortunately, I talked about in our Paranoia episodes. You can go and listen to that. Excellent. We're throwing that on the campfire. Why would I not fit into society? You did, didn't you? You fit into a completely different society. The society of... Montpellier life and the society in Paris. Well, you're again. You're you're leaning in and being flippant and facetious and I'm triggering being, my old behaviour. I'm not but, being flippant or facetious. Okay, but say that again. I said you fit in. You managed to make friends. You got friends that will last. You got yourself a job. You did well with a family that you'd never met before. You taught children. You found a love for teaching, you found a love for younger people, um, you found a love for a different culture, even though you could also be critical of it. You, you were able to spend time on your own and time with others. You were able to succeed for a year. So you fit in. You have evidence to suggest that you are able to fit in and that you will not never fit in with society. I was feeling really anxious about my pathetic attempts to try and answer these questions and to try and describe what I was trying to what I've ha- what I have in my mind that I haven't really verbalized until now this is the first time and therefore this is a first draft essentially and it's not coming out well at all and yet you have just effortlessly managed to concisely bring together all the things that featured in the past year that did make me feel like I can fit in the family the teaching being able to have an Im- a meaningful impact on the lives of adolescents in Paris. For example, the yeah. boy who was taking yeah. his exam, but I didn't make everything about um, the stress of passing an exam. I said, you do need to pass this exam. It will be useful to you. My role here is to train you in your English so that you can pass an exam. But never lose sight of the fact that, firstly, learning in languages so that you can connect with people in the future and have a better life. And number two, um, beyond everything that we're learning for this exam it's not the most important thing in life and so we need to 
make the most of these lessons so that you get more out of a lesson than just a little bit of information that will train you to give the right answer in an exam. And so therefore I brought up interesting subjects and had really interesting conversations and I gave little motivational speeches. It sounds like you did. Uh, you, um, and I think, I think that's probably the ultimate, isn't it, the ultimate example or the ultimate sort of, yeah, example of being able to fit in with, you know, um, society or to to navigate and negotiate institutions because institutions aren't human in many ways they're kind of um, psychopathic um, organizational structures that are anti-human and uh, inhumane on the whole um, so actually uh, I, th I think you've given us plenty of evidence to suggest that you have put that to the past that why can't I remember this phrase? I want to just keep on saying bonfire of the vanities, but the it's campfire not campfire of defunct beliefs. The campfire of defunct beliefs. So numbers one and two have burnt. They, they, are, they are keeping smoke. us warm. They are yeah. keeping us warm as we speak. Number three, I can only form relationships with people who are also marginalised. No one else will get me. Well, that kind of been dealt with well the children that you taught i think you know because you did explain to me how some of them not all of them came from well maybe all of them but came from at least a certain level of privilege and you were uh, privy to the lives that they were living in the areas they were living the parts of paris the homes they had the the jobs their parents had and 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 that isn't you you're not from that kind of privileged um or overprivileged background and and i think you were able to affect and, and support and help them um, so there's, there's a bit. Number four, I'm ideologically left-wing because left is fair and correct and right is selfish, elitist and wrong. And I've put in brackets, um, I have to pick a side, which is left, and we have to defeat the enemy, which is right, and we are always correct and they are always wrong. And I don't think I'd necessarily verbalised it to myself or rationalised mm. it that way but I certainly mm. I mm. was left wing absolutely as a teenager and Margaret Thatcher was the absolute demon uh, the, the satanic figure of all evil that has come to pass and proof that anyone who even humours ideas of right wing ideology is simply pandering to her pure evil. Okay. I, th I think a lot of people will get to, to that. And my major problem with politics is, is party politics. The idea that you would subscribe to an entire... that a politician and, and a person would subscribe to an entire manifesto of ideas subscribed from uh, a group think tank that tries desperately to be left, right, or middle, and, and it's a, it's a load of bollocks, and it's, it's 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 a completely fluid, changeable position that we would have to take in order to deal with the kind of things that society throws up. You know, the kind of threats, the kind of opportunities, the kind of weaknesses, the kind of strengths that are forever changing. So the idea that I am left wing, or I am right wing, or I only believe in this. What you only believe in this? Well, what about when there's better evidence? And also, I've come to realise that... Uh, I remember, actually, uh, in a German film, The Educators, the film is essentially some left-wing types kidnap a right-wing type 
So the left left wing types are kind of youngish twenties, and the right wing type is a totally normal businessman, and they kidnap him and take him into the mountains, and they all have breakfast together. And in the process of the kidnapping, they there's a, it's contrived so that they all have to sit around and talk to each other, and they re- they make a connection, <laughs> and they realise they have similarities. Ooh, what a surprise! And the, the 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 normal businessman says to these kids essentially, um, let me let me give you a quote. He says. Under 30 and right wing, no heart. Over 30 and left wing, no brain. And I thought, <laughs> lol. And I thought, I'm never going to become right wing after 30. And so obviously, <laughs> I have passed the 30 mark now. And so every time I ever question my adolescent left wing beliefs, that quote booms at me. Under 30 and right wing, no heart. Over 30 and left wing, no brain. And I think, to what extent am I going to stubbornly maintain all my adolescent left wing ideologies because I don't want to conform to the stereotype of becoming a boring, conservative old man? Yet, to what extent must I question everything I believe with new information I gather as I grow and develop. Better data. Yeah. And so the things that I do recognise now is that with everything that ever happens in the world, there is an element... So Everything that ever happens. And I mean everything that ever ever happens. So it was me blowing that spider off my glass a few moments ago. Yes, there is an element of traditionally left leaning creativity and innovation and an element of traditionally right-leaning pragmatism and delivery and without either of those things how can any society be successful and therefore what is the point in picking one do you know the the actual spider the the flippant spider comment that i made so i didn't want to hurt the spider i wasn't going to harm the spider but i do not want the spider in my um So, what did you do? I blew the spider off. And how is that representative of not picking left or right-wing politics and sticking with it? I didn't squash the spider. I didn't kill the spider. But I also didn't let the spider have my Malbec. (laughs) Right? You said in everything, in everything that ever happened, I was just, come on, you know... Let's have a bit of flexibility and even a little bit of fun in this summer special, which you desperately tried earlier to make quite miserable, James. And <laughs> when have I said there will be no fun in our summer well, special? Well, I didn't say there would be no... I didn't say that you said that, but you were a bit mean earlier. And I think the discerning listener, who obviously all of our listeners are discerning to greater alert, will notice that that was quite a hurtful remark you made to me when actually I was being incredibly supportive, despite using a radio voice. Oh, but I probably radio. I'm, I'm almost inevitably going to edit that bit out so they won't even hear it. No, you, you shouldn't do that. That is a, a misrepresentation of the truth of this episode, which is a difficult episode. This is one of the more difficult episodes we've had. There's actual emotion here. It's not just a list on a sheet of paper. Although on that point, back to the bonfire of the vanities, what's number three or four? Number five. <laughs> <laughs> All religion is fundamentally wrong, will give my life no value, and will likely harm me. Whoa. 
do we need to go into that one? That one's huge, and I feel that's an episode in itself. Maybe coming up in the next season of Private Practice Podcast, we'll talk about religion. I do think that's an important one. Anyway, for now, the idea that all religion is useless to you, onto the campfire it goes. Yes, and I particularly found... Um, I came to peace with my childhood hatred of religious architecture because uh, my dad was an architect and he loved religious buildings and I had no interest because one, rejection of all things my parents liked which is the same as hating Dusty Springfield until leaving home hating ABBA until leaving home hating Le Corbusier and Mies van der Rohe and Frank Lloyd Wright and all these architects until leaving home and so on uh, but at the same time, I also went to a religious school where we had to go to cathedral twice a week. So I, it was almost drummed into me. Like, if you do that to a teenager, there's a very likely chance, as was the case with me, that teenager will not like being told you have to go to cathedral and sit there and pray and do all these things. So I, kind of, I hated religious architecture. And then when I was on my tour of European countries in September... I was mostly drawn to churches. Because you realised that the Catholics had spent a shit ton of money on them and they were pretty damn good buildings. Yes. (laughs) Number six. The world would be objectively better if my ideas were implemented. That's just the megalomaniac child believing that nothing could be better than what comes... I, James Hall, decree there is no homophobia and nothing is internalised. I decree religion is pointless, useless and all religious architecture should be wiped off the face of the earth. Left is right and right is wrong. (laughs) Put that one in your pipe and smoke it, May Gray. And if I simply announce this and talk down to you, you will implement my ideas from my position of inevitable power in the future and therefore everything will be solved. And that's just how the world becomes perfect. James yes. Hall being delivered into it. Yes, absolutely. So, so sorry, say that one again just for my amusement, really. The world would be objectively <laughs> no, better that is brilliant. <laughs> if my ideas were implemented. Wait, hang on. Have you got just a couple of examples of when you were writing that, what ideas you think the world should implement? Uh, nobody would own a car, so there would never be any congestion, and all cars would be good cars. Um, in good terms, cars, like yeah. it. And they would be um, only assigned to people who were doing things like road trips or if someone needed to carry a disabled relative to their yeah. care home. Ambulances are fine. Things like that, yeah. yeah. So, um, And that would be heavily policed. So you know, if there's a social worker who just uses their car to go to KFC because they're lazy... Boy, would I come down on them like a ton, ton of, of bricks. bricks. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll high-five you for that. I mean, I actually think perhaps that's not too bad an idea. I still think that's a good idea, I do and I would too. implement that if I was supreme dictator yeah, of, of the world. Of course, I'd be backing you up 100%. Um, other ideas Although I don't just... actually... I'm not a massive fan of cyclists either, though. <laughs> um, another idea was to totally demolish all UK post-war suburbia because I don't like it aesthetically. I don't know that this one can go on the bonfire. Maybe you should be supreme leader. <laughs> and I would essentially, I would build the um, utopia that you dreamed of as a child. No, the utopia that we're in at the moment—the energy efficient, 
spacious carbon neutral carbon neutral environment with outdoor space nice indoor space natural light all these things good insulation so you don't have drafts and expensive heating bills which are ultimately burning their way through the world's limited resources yeah. selfishly as just to clarify i don't even have radiators in this house we don't have radiators we simply have a hot water tank and hot water pipes that are designed to keep your rooms warm and the entire house with the windows closed maintains 21 degrees C. But the difference with my utopia is that you would own this place and not have to pay rent. I know, do you know how much this place would be worth? 450, well, it is worth 450,000 pounds, a two bedroom house in suburban South London. Unbelievable. Actually, I would have guessed higher than that, but I have no idea about property prices. Do you want to buy with me? Um, so that was number, number six, I think, doesn't need to go on the bonfire. Let's just keep that one aside. Yeah, can we put that onto the for later pile? Number seven, however, links to number six. But I can't be successful at anything because no one will understand me. I mean, that's probably true. Who understands anyone fully? But I didn't get that. I thought I had to be understood in order to do things because I'm not very good at explaining myself. I'm not very good at verbalising... As the last 45 minutes will tell any... And I absolutely recognise that and... That's something that, who knows how long it will take me to work on that, but I struggle to verbalise. In, in my head, there is total clarity. When I speak, there isn't. And the listener will be very aware of that. And I, I edit these podcasts, so but, I edit out a lot of myself talking too much. But your understanding of things is the opposite of that. Because if, if someone can bear with you for long enough to... <laughs> if someone can bear with you long enough for you to get to the point, you have a deeper understanding than a lot of people I speak to of um, complex issues. Pat on the head, throw it on the bonfire of the vanities. Number eight. Everything I do needs to be perfect first time because, fa <laughs> because failure is for other people. What? Say that again. It's, it's just Everything even... I do has to be perfect first time because failure is for other people. Or to make that less abstract, I am the artist who never has anything but a blank canvas. I never actually produce any work because I'm too scared of people not liking it or it not living up to my own unrealistic expectations. But you've produced this podcast with me and obviously you've got you know, some help. And I thought you were going to say, and obviously I'm uh, happy to let something out into the world that is imperfect. But it is imperfect. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I am. And uh, years ago, I probably would have agonised over, oh, surely if I make a podcast, it will be the best ever, whereas there are some problems with this and we are constantly improving it. And who is our friend? Our, I mean, he's not a, a person we know. Our, our public figure that was that was talking was it Joe Rogan? Who was, or was it Elon Musk? One of these big people who talks ideas and we listen. Um, who was talking about this very thing? If you if you're so concerned about producing something that is perfect, you're never going to make anything. But if you just try and start producing things, you might get somewhere close to something that you're proud of and you're pleased with. I'm pretty sure that was Joe Rogan. I was listening to that on a tram that had rubber tyres but one metal wheel in the middle of it and it starts deep underground in a tunnel and then comes out of the tunnel to go through a forest and then through lots of 
greater Paris suburbia. Oh, I'm hearing kind of sort of lo-fi techno music as you're saying that. Is it was it somewhere in Germany? Where was it? No, this is in Paris. Oh, 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 oh. And uh, I was listening to Joe Rogan talking about how if you constantly tell yourself that it's a saturated market, I'm not good enough. Oh. To be to to be the best in that saturated market, so no one will listen to me, no one will buy my thing, no one will come to my whatever. Then uh, he was saying basically, like for example, he's a stand-up comedian, and he mm -hmm. says to other stand-up comedians, "Sorry, what? No, sorry, carry on. Yes, yeah, he is also a stand-up comedian. I really think of him as just a a, 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 a world leader in getting alternative thought out there. That's what I think." <laughs> <laughs> Is it? But he is also apparently. I've it's, never seen his stand up. It's on Netflix. Okay. But he does it. He does it. You know. Well, he says to people who want to be a stand up comedian, say, "Oh, but there are so many today. It's a saturated market. How do I get in?" He says, "Well, literally everyone just starts by going to a small club and telling some jokes, and they'll probably fail, and everyone will heckle them." And you just keep doing it. And if you keep doing it and you get better at it, you can be a stand-up comedian. So which, which harks back to our old... It's not really our friend, but old Tim Ferriss and the whole... It's not Tim specifically. The 1,000 hours of practice, the 10,000 hours of practice to, to become a master at something, which goes back to an old um, either Japanese or Indian sort of proverb about, you know mastery and, and 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 practice making perfect is the diluted no is the diluted form practice makes perfect this is where i'm getting anxious again because i know in life that i have never committed to anything i went to art school then film school then radio school then had a little crisis but at the same time writing theatre plays, then became a graphic designer, then had another kind of job, but then left that to go to France and teach, and now I'm a master of nothing, and it's a nightmare applying for jobs. And some of these core beliefs that I'm burning, like no one will get me, they, I, even though I'm burning them, sometimes I, have, I see a job that I want to apply for, and I think, I don't have the CV for this job and the core belief comes back and says I don't fit into life I haven't trained for this job that I now want I should have just picked yeah. something and stuck with it I didn't do that that makes me wrong and that is my identity I am therefore a wrong person and I cannot get back onto the right track because I need to invest a thousand hours in mm -hmm. something and I'm still 10,000 10,000 but st with my newfound clarity in life I still cannot pick something and stick to it I, I feel what you're talking about there. I really feel that. It brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> it does. I want to hold your there hand. There are literally no tears coming to your eye at the moment. <laughs> Dan is squeezing his face. No, I'm pointing at the tear in just here. It's, okay. It's a half tear. Because you, you were mean to me earlier and it upset me. But I get angry when I'm upset. Angry. You know, I hold resentment. You're still not going to apologise. No, I'm going to move on to number nine. One second. That last one is another thing I think is an entire episode. The idea of expecting perfection from yourself the first time. The idea that someone could do something, you know, one, we, we can do something so brilliant and we shouldn't do anything unless what we do is brilliant. I think that is something that will resonate with so many people and so many creative people and so many intelligent people and so many... Um, people <laughs> <laughs> I'm still angry with you 
Number nine. Because my situation is so wrong, I may as well give up trying anything, which is what I just said about. How can I apply for this job? I don't have what they want on my CV. Do I lie? Do I just not bother? Or do you print a picture of your face pulling a disgusted sort of expression and then just write, I am James Hall in, you know, you know glow-in-the-dark paint on it, uh, employ me, and send that out to a thousand people that you would want to work for? Not even going to try that to see if it has a chance. More fool you. It's just not a good idea. More fool you. With my newfound clarity, I can see that some of your ideas are just not good and aren't even worth exploring. <laughs> You're still being mean. Number ten, the last one. Hang on, did we throw those last three on the fire? James, go on, throw them on. Okay. No, not that one, because we're keeping that one. Just those two, good, okay. Number ten. If people knew the way I really feel about things, they'd feel pity making everything worse. Wait, give me a, put a bit of mi I had, a, I'm gonna go off on one for a minute here. We, 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 the cohort that I trained with as a nurse at Kingston University, 2002 to 2005, had this incredible lecturer called Hajinda Semi. And he was uh, a wonderful man, uh, not a lot older than me. And uh, 18 months ago-ish, he, he got a random, I mean, they do, don't they? You know, cancers just suddenly appear. He got this random cancer. He didn't come into a meeting with Menabee. And, and six weeks later, he was dead. And Hajinda had these three phrases. He was a Brummie. He's an incredible family therapist and systemic therapist, sorry. And... Um, um, a psychotherapist, not systemic therapist. I got a bit blurry-eyed for a second then. And and uh, one of the phrases that he would say if you gave a, a, a basic comment is, let's put a bit of meat on the bone. He always wanted you to put some, 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 put some meat on the bone. Or, what's the hot potato? He'd say these things. I'd like you, on behalf of Hajinda, to put a little bit of meat on the bone at that point, please. By People. the way, wait, wait, his work in, in, um, in support of the development of um, BME, minority ethnic groups within mental health services, is absolutely groundbreaking, so you should look up Agenda. Anyway, carry on. That's me to say the core belief was if people knew the way I really feel about things, they'd feel pity making everything worse. So, for example, if people really knew that the way I doubted myself and my abilities and that's why I don't always do things that I should be doing because I think they need to be perfect and I know that it's not going to be perfect first time so I don't do it or the idea that I simply can't I can't I can't go into a social situation without knowing that I have I'm really, I, I don't know. If people, feel, if people know the way I feel about things, they feel pity. I think the listener will know. The, the idea that you talk about a vulnerability and people actually get it and understand it, they will then, rather than get it and understand it, they'll just see you as a lesser, weaker, not as, not as, not as relevant person because you have this weakness. The idea in our own minds is that 
that's not right so you should keep that weakness you should keep that vulnerability to yourself you shouldn't talk about it because it means you're not the person you would hope to and want to be and you will then therefore not become the person that you are, are going to be but actually one of the key parts and the ethos i think of our podcast is to actually say you don't have to talk to oh you don't have to talk to everyone about it. You don't have to talk to anyone specifically about it. But talking about your vulnerabilities and your weaknesses and your fears and your anxieties, whether it be with a therapist, a best friend, family member, that's an actually really important part of you being able to challenge that and move on from that. And in the process of saying that, you have wonderfully helped me realise what I was trying to say there. Reluctant to be wrong. Reluctant to come across as a failure. I didn't want to come across as a failure in anything. And so if anyone got the idea that I could fail at things or that I could doubt myself or that I could get depressed or anything like that, instead of them recognising, oh, James isn't just an awful show-off robot with no empathy and just obsessing <coughs> himself, etc. Uh-huh. He is actually human after all. Instead of thinking that, I thought that they would feel pity because um, they would see weakness, they would not want to be associated with weakness, and they would push that aside so that they could, could continue to live their life PRing their own success and their association with success and rejection of weakness, me. You may well believe you've changed massively. I still think you're exactly the same person in all the positive and good ways. And whether you've succeeded or failed in the things that you've been doing, I've never valued you for the purpose of, uh, for the factor as to whether you would fail or succeed at something. If anything, I'd enjoy you a little bit more if I do see you fail at a few things. And I wouldn't wish to distance myself because of perceived failure or indeed real failure in fact some of what you said today has really ingratiated me to you (laughs) and some of those comments were pure podcast radio fails so we'll come back to that another time but do you want to put this last number 10 on the fire now okay yeah because it is getting quite cold so it's quite a big one as well this one's (laughs) going to keep us warm for the rest of the episode. Throw that on the fire, James. This one is going to keep us warm as we play not one, but two games. Two games! Oh, I love it. So really, the only reason people listen to our specials is because they like the sack game. James and I, you know, in this episode, which is about travel, you might have missed the theme of escape and travel. <laughs> it has been quite a long time on burning my adolescent core beliefs. But yes, we did. And they were very important to burn so that you could move on and be James V uh, 2.0 update, uh, download and update. And the sack game, which is we're bringing back James something and him and his crew invented back in the day uh, in his in the uh, student radio in the student radio days. Um, and basically, we have updated it for our travel special, uh, escape special, as the suitcase game. So if we have a quick recap of where we started this episode about travel, we were talking about why do people go on holiday. I asked Dan about his best ever holiday. Um, I said that his 
his home is very profound and does that make it harder for him to escape or not? We talked about a little bit about um, the idea that when you... I was talking about Montpellier and the idea that going away as escape from life and from yourself you end up taking your emotional baggage with you which leads correct. us onto our adapted version of the sack game which is the suitcase game whereby the rule is you have one minute to fill your emotional baggage with something in a certain category we've both got our categories and Dan is looking confused, which is why I stopped. just want to hear about that lady's favourite part of Bristol. <laughs> now, what I'd like to do is to add in a little bit of theme tune here because I like the do 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 the suitcase game do 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 the suitcase game. Now, when James explained it to me earlier, um, my failure was misunderstanding what he meant. So I'd given James an ABC choice of which categories he would have one minute to pack his suitcase with. And when I've realised it's now emotional baggage... No, it's, it's not emotional baggage. I'm, I'm joking about emotional baggage. It's actual things that you put in a suitcase to go away. It's literally just the game of categories where you have to, you've got one minute to think of things that you can put in a suitcase. And if anything is too big, like, for example, an elephant... The other person can call you out and your round is over. Interestingly, that could be one of the answers on the A, B or C category, depending on which one you choose. And now I'm just going to, I'm going to just run the, I'm going to press the special button. You have five seconds to choose A, B or C, James, okay? And who's going to be timing this? My choice or the one minute? The one minute. You'll be timing the one minute. How would I be doing that? With our <laughs> private practice podcast clock oh my god so you spent the day painting our clock with the private practice podcast logo <laughs> um it's not a digital clock it's a traditional clock but luckily we've got that there okay so i'm going to give you five seconds to decide and a b or c go c okay james your category which will be starting in four seconds three two is Clothes I pack when going skiing. Go! Skiing. <laughs> Boots. Socks. Boots. Trousers. T-shirt. Shirts. Five. Jumpers. Because it's cold. Jacket. In a layer, kind of like gilet thing. Outer layer, waterproof. Snow. Hat. And the uh, gloves. And the kind of spiky things that you... No, they don't be in a suitcase in ten. That's basically all the clothes. Laces for the... Sh spare laces for the shoes. Spare buttons in case... A Bullshit. You don't a spare put... zip. No. <laughs> Glasses because I'm short-sighted. Good. Sunglasses Nine. in case there's lots Eight. of sun. Seven. And I don't have... Six. Yes, go. Um, Four... Three, two... A bow tie. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> That's 13, I believe. 13? Yeah. So 13 to beat. Oh, God. And you're going to have a really hard category, because that's exactly the kind of human you are. 
Do I have any choice on it? Do you want to know what the other two categories were? Yes, please. A was things that I do that annoy other people because I thought it was an emotional baggage one. I'm glad I didn't pick that. Yeah. Uh, uh, animals that go on holiday was B. I'm glad I did. I basically successfully picked the only one that was relevant. <laughs> I know. Well but done, animals yeah. that go on holiday would be like your pet dog or birds that migrate, you know, things like that. There was two. <laughs> Okay. Right, so picture the scene. You've arrived at the airport. Okay, James. There was a massive queue. It was a bit stressful, oh, but Jesus, you've been I through don't all want that. You had problems with check-in. Yeah, yeah, I'm scared. I don't like it. You were worried about um, the size of your suitcase, but it managed to go into the hold. But you've also got some hand luggage to take on the plane that's only a certain and very specifically defined size yes in that hand luggage um you're going to fill your bag with things from duty free so your category is things you should avoid buying at duty free because material possessions won't improve your mental health but obviously, what you're going actually the category is things that you can find in duty free, and it has to fit within the size of a carry on bag. And your time <laughs> starts now a Harrods teddy bear, a bottle of wine, a bottle of gin or spirits, 200 cigarettes, a packet of uh, Haribo, um, a small key ring. A fridge magnet, um, a comb, um, one of those foldable collapsible earphone things that you put your headphones in, a travel mask to sleep, um, hand cream from Elizabeth Arden, um, Coco Chanel's Bleu, 50 mils, um, Dane bars, um, oh, a small purse clutch handbag. Um, hang on, I just realised I can... Cap for when you're I on the call, piece. No, I can, you, your time isn't quite up yet, but I can call you out because you said Dame Bars. You should have just said one, because I'm fairly sure your suitcase is too big now. You're not going to be able to get it on the plane. You, you can't get Dame Bars. Along with a bottle of wine and the perfume and the headphones and all the other things that you listed it was you actually were going to win but i'm not sure you did because i caught you out putting too many things in your case and that's one of the rules of the game i don't know what to say actually (laughs) i'm i'm pretty pissed off we need an adjudicator for a game like this. Now, today, James spent the day at home doing fuck all whilst I went to work after having a conference That's call. That's not at... true. I spent the entire day editing our episode on perversion. That's right. Nothing at all. Uh, whilst I went to work and saved the world, which is something that I do regularly at least two and a half days a week. So, what I'm trying to say to you is the listener. Today, James set up a private practice podcast email address... And if you'd like to adjudicate the suitcase game that we just played and tell me, in reality, because I know that there's some very clever folk out there, folk, 
There's some very clever people out there who travel. I want to know if you can put together a picture of the items that James and I just mentioned. And, of course, I was given a very small piece of hand luggage because it was carry-on, and James had a full suitcase, obviously. But my category was limited to clothing. There are far more items in Duty Free than there are items of ski clothing. So, frankly, I think it naturally created its own fairness. No bollocks did it. Now, listen, what I'm saying is our new email address, which is, James, because you set it up today? Uh, no, I did not set it up today, but by the time this episode goes out, I will have set it up, and you can see it in the show notes. Now, listen, we're getting very close to the end, but we've got one more game for you guys. Um, and, and to be honest, the private uh, practice um, mailbox, uh, you know, postal mailbox was so full that we're going to have to do a whole episode on feedback in a few months time we can't we can't do it today well normally in the specials we do have some listener feedback and it has mostly been very concise and positive we've literally had no negative feedback for season four i am coming around to the idea of reluctantly incorporating some listener feedback into this podcast i did once upon a time set up a facebook page which i completely neglected and have now closed we have never created a twitter or instagram Instagram feed or anything like that we've never invited audience feedback we did once ask people to rate us on itunes to help other people find us and i would encourage people to do that again with a five-star review to help if you like this podcast the only way to help other people find it is to give a five-star review so our second game is called remind me guess the idea in psychoanalysis the premise is fairly straightforward i have an, an idea in psychoanalysis that is written on my card and i have six things that i'm not allowed to say to describe it so I basically have a minute to describe this to you and you have to try and guess the idea but I'm not allowed to say six obvious things that would normally be used to describe you have got one minute to guess the idea in psychoanalysis Mm -hmm. starting now so this is something that is kind of repressed But it informs the more... Ego. No, but close. It informs <coughs> the more important... The, dis- according to your... You, the you, id. No. Mm-hmm. It informs the more important decisions you make based on your own value judgment of importance. The super ego. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, I got it. You got it in 37 seconds. Well, thank you, James. 37 seconds to beat. And go. A condition of the mind whereby a person overthinks certain ideas, fears, a... Um, category of mental disorder. Paranoia. A um, schizophrenia. A one of the two major categories defining mental conditions. Um, one of the two major conspiracy ca- categories that Freud might have treated. Um, a set of disorders and symptoms that a 
uh, anyone in mental health or psychiatry, 10 seconds left, might be helping someone with. Um, depression, anxiety may well fall into these categories and it's... That's your minute, James. It was neurosis. Okay. So you win the game. I do win the Shall game. Shall I tell you the, the six things that I was not allowed to mention in relation yeah. to the superego? Freud, father, God, school uniform, unconscious, or booming. <laughs> so from the still almost sunny South London suburbs of the private practice podcast studios, I'd just like to thank you for listening today and it's a goodbye from me Daniel P Brown so until season 5 of private practice podcast make sure if you are travelling this summer with all your emotional baggage you just recognise that you can't leave yourself behind you will if you go on holiday take all your negative patterns of behaviour with you try and get some time on your own even if you're travelling with a group to just let those feelings exist, to be in your own company, to not worry about these things, to just recognize them as a process of getting to know yourself better. Don't feel any pressure to radically transform and improve yourself on one week's holiday in the Mediterranean. Just think of it as the opening of a door to personal development whereby when you are on holiday and you are away from your routine, your job, your responsibilities, uh, your social life and all that sort of thing, you can just relax for a moment and be in your own company and start to um, acknowledge some of your feelings, some of your thoughts and be a bit more critical about yourself. But it doesn't need to be an unpleasant thing. You can feel liberated by the idea that you're starting to get to know yourself better and that this isn't uh, 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 this is a journey in itself of personal development that's the real journey so make sure you come back with some souvenirs of your former problematic disruptive self so that you can look at those on the shelf and think I used to be that awful person and now I'm a better person and all the more purposeful and happy for it that's my closing motivational speech. And if you have the choice, just ditch your friends and family and go on holiday alone, it's great. I did it for a year and I loved it. I really think that for most people that is an, a nightmare scenario, the idea of going on holiday alone. Going to a restaurant on your own and everyone's looking at you like you're a loser loner and your life is a failure and you amount to nothing and you have no friends because you're Johnny No Mates because no one likes you because you're an awful person and being bored on your own and thinking oh, we're going to you're wanting to go to bars and have fun but you can't because you've got no friends with you so it's just a nightmare and this holiday was off and you spent so much money on feeling miserable and lonely and like you're pathetic and nothing and worthless and useless and why would anyone go on holiday alone? Go with your friends to have unforgettable life 
life-defining memories, create the time of your life, escape, sleep for as long as you like, party as hard as you like, there's no alarm, there's no job tomorrow, you don't have to pick up the kids from school, you don't have to go and do all the things in your daily routine, you can just drink alcohol, lie in the sun, party, have good times with your friends, laugh, have the time of your life, have memories for life. You'll remember this is the greatest holiday ever and you'll have all the photos to put on your Instagram feed to prove that you are a success, that you can go away and you can be that aspirational lifestyle person who has the beach body and the fun times and the drink in the hand and the sun-kissed golden skin in the wonderful location with all the status symbols around you of the tourist landmark and the glorious uh, l uh, landscape of, for example, the Mediterranean hills, mountains, coastal area, wonderful colours, beautiful sunlight, all that. You are a success. You can show it off on social media and make oh. everyone at home feel jealous and wishing they were there and like you are the best person that you could be. No. Forget that. You need to go on holiday on your own. You need to sit for long periods of time in your own company you need to recognise that you are a flawed individual. You need to not drink. You need to not take any drugs or anything like that because um, you just need to be in your own presence of your own company and recognise things about yourself. And that will be the start of life's real journey. And one day you too can be as smug as me and one day you too will be able to give a motivational speech like this. And it's goodbye from James. It's <laughs> 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 a wonderful story. Isn't it strange, James? I feel like, although we're speaking to the listener, there's certain listeners that we should really just say hello to. Is there anyone that you can think of? Really? No one you can think of? Well, there's someone who's sitting in a school somewhere in Vietnam teaching a large group of children out of the goodness of his heart and he has written in to us and told us that actually he finds our... Well, he finds my voice warming, comforting and friendly and it's nice to also see that there is a lower depth that he could slide into when he hears your voice. I am actually here. Uh, whatever the warmness of a heart means, um, I've no idea if that's why he's teaching in Vietnam and he d certainly didn't write to us and we ha you have a piece of paper in front of you saying hello to Dion on it, so I was can, can I think of anyone who um, I might want to say hello to on this episode? What kind of, how am I supposed to answer that question? Hello to Dion, who's living in Vietnam and helping children by teaching them out of the goodness of his heart. What does that mean, out of the goodness of his heart? It means due to his em emotional reasoning making him feel and drive towards helping others he has gone actually he probably hasn't gone to Vietnam to do that he's probably gone to Vietnam to get as far away from you as he possibly can but a big hello to Dion and uh, I hope you're doing well mate and um, keep listening to the podcast and I think you might like this I'm just going to have a mouthful of nuts I'm give you Dion with nuts in my mouth okay well Dion I hope uh, I hope the weather's not too bad over there in Vietnam and that you've got your pollution mask on to walk the streets. Pollution mask, is that a thing? Um, and, and no disrespect to the, Viet, the Vietnam people or Vietnam itself, I just understand it's very polluted over there. And if anyone else wants 
to have a personalised message like this in a future special, you can contact us on the email that I still haven't set up. Oh, so it's fine for you to mention the email <laughs> you haven't set up, but when I mention it, you're going to edit it out. Anyway, so we've had a lovely summer special. Um, we talked all about James's travels and his changes, and we just thought we'd add this on at the end and say hello to Dion, and you take care, mate. Look after yourself.